In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody is living the dream. And if you're not living the dream, if you find yourself on the bumpy road of life, just pause for a minute. Take a de- take a deep breath and realize that it's necessary. This little pothole, this bird singing, it's all necessary. We got a great show for you today. I am here with the one and only Lewis Thompson Milne, one of the executive coaching, one of the top executive coaching voices in the world. He's been helping entrepreneurs find more time, more energy, and more clarity, and more understanding of not only who they are, but where they fit in into the world in which they're emerging. He's been using deep coaching, neuroscience, and behavioral analysis, and he's a pioneer in growth mindset innovation. Lewis, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm I'm so much better after that intro. Thank you. That was a good pick-me-up. <laughs> Well, it's true. I got huge respect for you. And I've seen and watched people with whom you've spoken to. And I'm just excited to, to, to have you here today. For those who may not know, we're doing like a live coaching session here. And uh, I, I am an open book. I'm going to be as vulnerable as I can. And I'm really thankful that you've chosen to uh, spend some time with me today in the audience. Thank you for that. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. I mean, it's always fun to have a chat to someone I'd like to talk to, and and you're certainly someone I'd love to talk to. So it's good times. Fantastic. Where do, where do we start at, my friend? Um, look, let's let's just hit it running, right? Uh, I'd love to hear if there's any questions about the process, the interaction, uh, the concept of coaching, and how this kind of works together. If you don't have any of that, I'm happy to jump straight in. Yeah, I think that there's um. So where I am, I think that there is a idea that people don't need coaches, you know, and there's, Mm -hmm. there's so many coaches out there. I think it, it's sort of, it's like a flooded market sometimes. I mean, why do I need a coach, you know? And Mm -hmm. lately I've begun to understand that I think coaches have begun to take the way of the psychologist or the psychotherapist, because I'm not sure that coaching 
is a word that describes what people do. It's almost like a an experience viewer or something like that. I don't have the right word, but well, there is a there is a preconceived notion that people don't need coaches. Why why do people need coaches? Hmm. Okay. So sorry, this is my soapbox and I'll die on it. Yeah, please. Um, so so look, here is the answer. And this is my honest answer. I coach through honesty, right? Honestly, right. sorry. Are we okay with profanity in the podcast? Of course. Is okay? Is that the audience? Yeah. Okay, great. I, I just want to moderate my internal expectations. Of course. Look, there is uh, a diaspora of bullshit in the industry, right? Right. Now, no one needs a coach, which, which sounds weird as a high-class executive <laughs> coach or a high-class entrepreneurial coach, but no one needs a coach. No one does, right? Uh, a coach in some way facilitates self-development, self-growth or self-evolution, right? It's a summary, perfect, perfect kind of too long, don't read version. Can you do it on your own? Probably, always. I mean, I did, right? It'd be hypocritical of me to be like, right. no, you definitely only can do it with someone else. Of course you can do it on your own. However, it's like this. When you played in little league or football or soccer or any of those sports when you were young, you could have picked all of that up from a book. Mm but you didn't, you went to training and practice and someone guided you, mentored you and shaped you in the way to do that right. in a rapid fashion because they have more experience, they have a wider berth and they're in, as you say, an external audience, right? So I really right. liked the, almost the synonym that you use there or the label that you use there, like it's an external audience for benchmarking. Uh, the best way to describe, I guess, some engagement or the way this works right. is I've had people describe me as sounding board, external benchmarker, a third. I actually had someone who said that I lived rent free in their head with a British accent, right? It just becomes this external, <laughs> oh, which, which could, which could not be more aligned with who I and how I, I just want to be a disembodied Patrick Stewart floating in someone's brain. That is literally my life goal, right? So look, it's no one needs, truly needs a coach. There are people who need therapy. Mm. And right. that is a very real need because trauma exists, life exists. That's just the fact of it. I actually strongly believe that almost everyone, almost everyone ever could do with or need some right. form of therapy. Therapy is an amazing practice. I, I am conflictive. Let's, I'm using open hands, but really it's more like this with a lot of coaches in that space. A lot of coaches will sit on the fence of, okay, therapy is the thing that does this and I do this and I can kind of do it. So just pay me. Hmm. And I consider that a scarcity mindset, right? I'm, I'm all about abundance. I have spent several, and I'm not embarrassed to say, several hundred thousand on therapy, right? My life has not been pretty. I've spent several hundred thousand dollars on therapy and I've done a lot of external self-growth and I've worked with a lot of coaches and I've worked with a lot of people across the spectrum, right? Everything from new age woo-woo crystal wave through to high-end neurological analysis, right? I've, I've done everything in that spectrum. And therapy is 100% valid. But this line in the middle is where you are currently. Trauma, life, rehabilitation sits in the therapy and the psychotherapy space. Understanding, optimization, working with and planning going forwards. How do we make it better from now on? Coaching. But again, that depends on the aspect of coaching, right? Mm. This is the first point. So I say going forwards, this is really like let's say you have an injury and I assume the, the term physiotherapist translates well to anyone sure. in a sports background or a US audience. A physiotherapist is someone you go to and they say, okay, this is what's wrong. This is what's happened. This is how we rehabilitate it. And this is how you get stronger going forwards. 
But if you have a, a structural bone issue or some kind of ongoing genet genetic disease or some kind of abnormality, you're going to specialists and surgeons and GPs and all these other things, right, that are going to remediate the root cause while you work on rehabilitation and, and performance going forwards. So they are two very specific sides of the same coin. Now, as to why it's such a very broad topic and a very broad name is because coach is marketable. Hmm. It is that simple. It's an unregulated industry. And I mean that in, in the worst and best way possible, right. right? I would, I would never be one of these coaches that conflicts with therapy because therapy is a highly regulated, highly hmm. mandated and highly rewarding, but also highly involved speciality. I have no space playing in that game. No coach has space playing that game unless they were a therapist, period, right? You can't compete with 5,000 plus clinical hours just to get a basic certification. You just cannot. Coaching, however, is unregulated. So it's cool to put the word coach on it because someone thinks that they don't really understand it. And what I find in the vast majority of instances, there is life coaching. But outside that, you, you, you see people claiming to be LinkedIn coaches, sales coaches, um, DM game coaches or growth coaches or any of well, I mean, growth mindset is one thing, but you, you see people in these very specific aspects. And what unfortunately that is, is trainers, sellers, consultants, sometimes mentors, legitimately right. mentors, but coaching is a skill set. So unless you are employing that skill set, you're not a coach. You fall under a different banner. There's plenty of banners for those things, but they're not as marketable. No one's to be like, hey, pay me for my course and I will train you on my course because I am a course trainer. That's not, that's not sexy. It doesn't sell. Whereas, hey, man, I'm a sales coach. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could do with sales coaching. Right. But then you get in and they give you a bunch of checklists, a bunch of work items, tell you what the game is. Well, that's mentoring. They train you on their game that they tell you what it is. Well, that's training. A coach would sit in there and be like, what's stopping you figuring this out on your own? How do we get you to the point where you can iteratively and ongoingly do this by yourself? Someone who invites you to confront the things that you can't get past and forces you to come up with your own solutions. Correct. But in addition, it's not just the ones you can't get past because often having that external audience calls out things you never even yeah. knew were there. Right. And this is where the catch 22 is. Yes, you can get there on your own. You can totally get there on your own through attrition and quite frankly, fucking it up and pivoting and fucking it up and pivoting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's not it. Fuck it up. Pivot, yep. Fuck it up. Pivot. Okay. Right. Still not it. Um, maybe I'll try this, right? It's, right? it's trial and error. Where the benefit of a coach is, is that they can step in and go, okay, I hear these repeated patterns and you're here today. I'll use things like I'm hearing you. I'm seeing, yeah. I, I see these patterns. And I call out the patterns. And often what happens is the person goes, oh, shit, I hadn't connected those dots. Right. Because the preconceptions and the way you've structured your own world excludes the ability to connect those two dots until some kind of external influence goes, but have you considered drawing a line here? Right. People go, oh, yeah, maybe they are related. And that triggers a whole nother wave of thinking or a whole nother view of the world or their world more specifically. It's like that part of the brain, like the reticular activating system. Like once you buy a brown shirt, you sure. see that brown shirt everywhere. So once you see a pattern in your life, it becomes difficult to ignore. And I know so many people, myself included, that turn to distractions instead of seeing that pattern and moving on it. Much easier to be distracted and then forget about that. But even though you can't forget about it, you just distract yourself sometimes from doing it. So 
yeah well, this is awesome further the, the reticular activating system is designed specifically to support a hypothesis mm. right so it's it's not so much that the reticular activating system can't or won't pick that up it's that your brain is actively avoiding trying to counter its logic then what it will do is it will audit and filter all of the literally millions of terabytes of information you're taking in every minute and take a very small piece of that in a way that's filtered based on your predisposition or your your pre-framing or the way that you want to see things right so so you're actually always seeing the car that you're going to buy you're always right. seeing the brown shirt but your reticular activating system is going don't care don't care don't care love the brown shirt don't care <laughs> don't care don't care right whereas before it's going who wants a brown shirt? Mm. Have you seen that blue one? Right. So <laughs> its job is to enact your your predisposition or, or your intended opinion. So it's it's quite interesting in the way it, it plays is. because we can manipulate it. And that's that's where a lot of this lands, right? It's about really you hear words in the self-development industry like intention and awareness. Mm. And look, uh, no disrespect to new age coaches there is a very strong industry in that space and it helps people translate a lot of these concepts but most of them are neurology hmm. right and intention and awareness is just you taking a thought process that you like and go this is important to me so your reticular activating system then goes okay cool sweet we'll look for that it is literally that simple. It sounds complex and it's great to add words and buzz and <laughs> intention and manifestation. And these right. are all marketable terms, but it is literally just going, I'm going to choose and be in control of what I think and what I want to do. And now my brain is going to follow suit or I will teach it to shut up. <laughs> and then you have all the bolt on effects, right? Procrastination around that, right. fear around that, all of these other pre, uh, not pre-existing conditions. I loathe that term, but, but, existing mind frames or mindsets that kind of limit you or teach you coping mechanisms around that to not to not rock the boat right because our brain wants stability at all times yeah it's interesting to me I, it's uh it's fascinating to me let's talk about all my problems okay <laughs> great i love it it's the great it's the best opening to a yeah, session right? excuse me while i sip on coffee yeah let's both have a shot right here of coffee i would i would love that uh, yeah cheers it's um that's that's brilliant never have i really sat down with someone and they go okay let me lay it on you here. some shit uh no so look i'll start with my typical preamble okay. right and it's very important as a preamble because it it creates the same page i i live on agreement I okay. dislike expectation. I think it's the crux and the problem behind every real relationship. So everything I'll do, I'll try and seek agreement as I go through it. So in this instance, the space that we're in is completely judgment free. Okay. And I need you to know that that's for me as well as yourself. Okay. Right. If I hear you judging yourself, I'm going to call it out. Okay. And, and okay. it's, it's not this smooth. It's basically stop being a fuckwit, right? Like okay. just, it's, <laughs> it's a very different it. game. I love okay. It. So there, there, the reason for that is that judgment is a needless and a wasted emotion, right? right? Internal self-judgment, external self-judgment, it serves nothing. It's an outdated emotion set that we don't really need in this current day and age. It is a waste of time. I focus on honesty. I teach based on honesty. I coach based on honesty. No, those are two separate things. And I expect it from myself and from the client. Whatever you put out honesty-wise right. and vulnerability-wise is what you're going to get out of it. Right. Cool? Yeah, uh, Excuse me. I keep looking to the side because I will be taking notes fairly sporadically because I am sure. type A and notes make me happy. 
but I do it purely to jog my my recollection of facts and events as we do this. So fantastic. Thanks for that. What that is, that's what yeah, it is. Of course. Outside that, where do you want to play today? You've given me you've given me a list yeah, and look, yeah. I, full full disclosure to everyone watching. You've been very open and very vulnerable with your list. I'm not going to call out the list. I'm not going to say anything. And I have actively chosen yeah. to not investigate. Okay. Right. Typically in an engagement, I would investigate to get to know someone. What I want here is to be able to achieve that kind of uh, discussion with you and come to that realization together as we go. If I, if I know more, I preframe more and I don't want to do that. Right. It's about right. listening and being objective. So where would you like to play today? What's really burning at you? I want, I just want to start too with saying that I'm really thankful for this. Number one, number two, I am going to be, I want to be as open and vulnerable as possible because I want people who are in my position to understand mm -hmm. what I'm going through so that they can find some breadcrumbs and move through too. I, I see this as a, as a way to maybe look like a total lunatic on stage and throw myself out there. And for everybody watching, you're welcome. I love you. Here we go. Um, where I want to play today is that I am stuck in some ways mm -hmm. and I am stuck in I think maybe a little bit of scarcity and a little bit of imposter syndrome and a little bit of unknowingness. And so uncertainty seems to be a cloud of unknowing over me and it's paralyzing me at times. Okay. That's a great place to start. So there's multiple themes there. Okay. Right. The first thing is describing yourself as a lunatic is probably not a strong step on the no <laughs> self judgment. Okay. We're just going to move past that. <laughs> we don't have time. Um, look, the, the imposter syndrome and the uncertainty can often be hand in hand. Mm. Right? The imposter syndrome is actually relatively easy to deal with. This is, again, trade secret, right? Everyone wants to sell you a course to deal with imposter syndrome. I'll sell you a course to deal with imposter right. syndrome. I can sum it up very, very carefully. You have never objectively looked at what you have produced in a way that is not pre-framed by the way you see it i.e. judgment, noticing a thing. Secondly, you haven't taken time to celebrate your wins as you've acquired and grown, right? So what happens is we're often taught to be a martyr. We're often taught to be humble, to put our ego down, all these kinds of things, right? And some people embrace it, some people don't. But in some level, we're always taught to be modest. That is a high virtue by a lot of cultural and societal standards. And that's amazing. Don't get me wrong. But what that manifests as or what that lands as really is people never stopping to celebrate wind in the internal grind for growth and the eternal grind for achievement. And it sounds tedious, but you should always celebrate your wins for one key reason that is not the one that most people think, which is if you don't, your brain never thinks you've done anything. Mm. So if you have sat there and you've achieved and you've achieved, let's take abstract example A of guy or girl in corporate environment who's gone promotion, 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 promotion. She, she just keeps smashing projects. She is delivering and over-delivering on targets. But to her, she's never celebrated that. So she just keeps growing. When she looks back, all she can see is growth, right? There's no list of achievements behind her. Then she gets thrown into the deep end where she doesn't know anything. And rather than looking back and seeing a big list of times where she achieved despite not knowing things, she has no frame of reference. She goes, well, I just got here. I must be lucky. Oh, I must have just figured something out. And there's no way I can replicate that. Again, I have no ex evidence base or experience base to leverage. Right. And often 
And when I say often, I'm being kind. In 100% of scenarios, if you step it back, you can find places where you have encountered a similar scenario or you have achieved despite these odds. Hmm. And because you've never celebrated them, they've never landed, they've never come out of... I'm going to point to brain parts a lot in this, I apologize, but at the front is generally your prefrontal cortex, your logical processing. Then you've got your monkey and reptilian brains way at the back that are kind of your deep storage. Think of it that way. And they never kind of get pulled out of deep storage unless we pay very cognizant or very high awareness to them and celebrate them and enjoy the milestones. We never leverage that experience and we never really build a deep sense of confidence around. Them. So an imposter syndrome, people think it is having a syndrome when in mm. actuality it, it more functions like an absence of evidence. Mm. So then the resolution is relatively simple, right? Find evidence, understand and break that evidence apart. See if it translates to where you're at now. And for everything else, fuck it. You survived last time. Go ahead. Right. Right. I mean, it's, there's a lot to be said for willful ignorance, but you can still pad that out quite heavily. So in this instance, you say imposter syndrome. So I'd like to know more where and how is this kind of showing up for you? I think it, it stems from an identity crisis. I was a UPS driver for 26 years. I took a pretty big stand. I fought for what I believed in, and I was rewarded by being fired. At that point in time, I was proud of what I did. I'm proud of what I stood up for. But the separation anxiety, not only from my job, from my income, from my my identity as a provider, all these things seem to have gone away when I left that version of me there. Over the last six months, I feel as if part of me is dying and is dead. And I have no desire to ever be that again. In fact, I feel sometimes ashamed to you have to have to potentially crawl back to something like that. I feel like a new me is being born. So I feel like out of the shell of the chrysalis, the caterpillar is becoming the butterfly. That's the strength that I draw on there. Beautiful. However, it's, there's a weird sort of sadness that comes with seeing part of me die. And it's, Mm -hmm. I can see the new growth. Part of me is dying and it's difficult to enfold that into who I am. Even though I love who I'm becoming, it's hard to see part of me die at the same time. I feel like relationships are dying. Old people are dying. Part of me is dying and it's, I can feel it. It's visceral. Right. Okay. Strong set of word choices, which tells me, A, you've been exposed to death in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, people don't often use that term so interchangeably if they haven't become more comfortable with it just a morbidity factor. But what I'm hearing is very all or nothing. Mm. What I hear is someone who had a good career, irrespective of what that is. It doesn't matter what that was. You had a good career, you were doing well, and you took a moral stand. I assume it's a moral standpoint at this point. Absolutely. Great. And because of a problem on someone else's end, that resulted in you not working there anymore. Now, we could go into why and how that exists and, and perhaps potential self-judgment, should I, shouldn't I, all these kinds of things. But you've described this as a, a dying of a past you, yeah, right? Which is a very, very strong internal metaphor. What it also means is that you're saying, okay, everything included in this bundle of existence is done. <laughs> and out it goes with the bathwater, right? Yeah. Right? But we just talked about that all of your celebration, all of your milestones, all of your achievements, all of your accomplishments, 
all of your experience-based evidence you kind of put in this little bucket mm. out it goes i'm not that person anymore i am a type a hyper corporate achiever that was what my identity was for a large portion of my life and i now sit here teaching people not to do that or coaching people not to do that <laughs> and coaching people to think differently and take time for wellness and all these kinds of things it's i mean it could not be more like and, and look, the, the thing I get is, of course, you would say that you're a coach. I'm like, no, I'm a coach because I couldn't say that before. Right. And I need you to not say that. But this is the trick. Integration is about respecting and honoring all the stuff you had in that past life mm. and leveraging what you can and should use because it didn't go away. You just need to take it back out of the box. Mm. And getting rid of the banner or the role or the labeling of what that used to be. I've had a beautiful metaphor given to me by a client who describes the work we do together as like a new season. Mm. And the reason I like that, I like the idea of death and rebirth, but a season is better because it implies an iterative series of change. It is growth. Mm. You have not shifted from that person. They have not died. You have grown from that person in addition to a new person. The metamorphosis is not the death of, of the, uh, the caterpillar. The metamorphosis mm. is the growth of the caterpillar. You have put it firmly in the it's gone bucket. Mm. Right? I'm hearing that in the narrative. What's actually happened is you have gone, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. I don't like the way that resolved. I need to put that away. And therefore I feel loss. Well, there is no loss. You've lost nothing. Nothing's gone. You have the experience. You have the relationships. You have everything there. You've just applied it to a new field in a new way with a new mindset or a new mm. outlook. You have grown. This is literally growth. It's it's childhood 101, right? You wouldn't expect a five-year-old to be like, done with toys, guess I'm not a kid anymore, <laughs> and off they go to work, right? It just doesn't right. work that way. They right. hit the teenage years. They still have maturity struggles. They totally get what it was like as young. Like, I've got a toddler. This is the same kid who goes, you remember three weeks ago when you didn't take me to the playground when you said you would? I'm like, whoa, okay, there is no letting go. Right. <laughs> right? It is a growth. It is an evolution and you're evolving. That doesn't mm. mean you leave the other stuff behind, truly leave it behind. So the other aspect of this is that when you are feeling the way you are, where is the value in that for you? Where is the value in you putting it in a box and moving it away? I think there's shame there. Okay. I think the shame is to move the shame away. Yeah, it's easier to, I would say, try to convert it into anger as fuel. Good. And have you done that before in the past? A, a large history of it. Brilliant. I would say it's, yeah. You would say? Sorry, Karen? I would say that that has been the, the I don't know if it's a misuse of fear or 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 abandonment or whatever it is, but it seems that that can be a catalyst in order to move you in the right direction, even though it may be the wrong fuel. Okay. Beautifully put. So often let's step it back. Okay. You're familiar with a structure and a habit, right? Habit behavior. Yeah. The structure of habit and behavior, the way right. it works, essentially right. you have trigger or catalyst or some kind of driver response to that driver and, and have or, or trigger. And then you have a reward mechanism. 
Now, we believe this is purely about going to the gym, eating right, not watching as much Netflix at night. It's not. It is everything. Our thought processes, the way we react to a situation, our emotional, I don't like to use the term resonance, your emotional wavelength or your emotional response to stimulus are all habits. They're all behaviors. Our brain is uniquely engineered to go, if I've done it more than a couple of times, I'm building what they call a subroutine. I'm putting it in the back of my head and now it runs on autopilot. This is the way I'm going to react to this situation forever until we choose to arrest that momentum and intervene in it, right? Which is what we don't do because we live reactively typically, or we don't have the awareness. Now you say this is a, it has happened in the past. It's very easy for me to then say, okay, great. When you've had a negative stimulus, shame, fear, perhaps sadness, even anger in a different form, you've, you've pivoted it to anger. That's used you as fuel to accomplish something. So you've then rewarded the brain by success in accomplishing things. Now our brain likes to survive. Mm. Our brain hates change. It hates risk. Change is risk. Therefore I hate it. (laughs) Right. It likes survival. It likes homeostasis. It's very, very cheap. It's very cheap. It's very cheap with its energy. Right. So even a toxic habit that it doesn't have to do anything for is a better option than a habit it has to do something for that is far healthier for you because it is agnostic of good and bad. It does not care. So you've created a repeated pattern of pivoting into anger and using that as fuel to achieve. So every time you do that, your brain goes, yep, this was the right choice. I achieved more. Mm. Think of it like smoking, right? You've basically told your brain every time you're going to get this big dopamine hit, you're going to achieve. So what do we do? And your brain goes, wow, that seems marginally upsetting. Fuck that, man. Let's just get really angry and then we can pull out the other side with productivity. Mm. Right. So you have a mechanism, a habit, and all it is is a habit. It's just like any other habit. You can re engineer it. You can never get rid of it. Right. You can re engineer it. You can alter the triggers. You can alter the cues. You can alter your response and then reward it. Now, why that's important is because you recognize there is shame. But having that shame means that you get angry, means that you achieve. So now when you have a need to achieve, what happens if you reverse engineer that? What does your brain think? That if you reverse engineer, you have to ascribe a new meaning to shame. Yeah. And it means you need to be angry to achieve. Mm. And if you need to be angry to achieve, you need to feel shitty. Shame. Shitty. So the more you try and achieve, the more your brain goes, I know how to do that. I'll make you really angry. Wait, we need a stimulus to make us angry. How can I sit in shame? Sabotage How myself. Can I sit... Welcome to the origin <laughs> of self-sabotage. <laughs> but it makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. It's it's the world's most advanced dumb machine that ever existed. <laughs> Honestly, it, it really is. Because you have conditioned this response. I'll make it very obvious because I'm aware right. I'm, I'm trying to ignore the fact yeah. that we may or may not have several thousand people watching, but I'm going to reverse engineer this to make it easy, right? Okay. I want to lose weight. I need to curb my eating. My habit at the end of the day is to sit down and watch Netflix with my wife because I'm human and that's how life is. It doesn't matter how wellnessy you are. There's some good shit on Netflix or Prime or whatever you have, right? I'm, I'm brand. I'm not brand loyal. <laughs> but I love sitting down with a good movie. Sure. And when I sit down with a good movie, I love a good snack. Right. So my diet brain goes, no snacks, eat clean, go and sit down and enjoy some quality time with the wife. 
well, my quality time with the wife is to watch something. Should we watch a movie? Let's watch a movie. So then every fiber of my being goes, it's time to eat snacks now. How does it know it wants me to get snacks? When did I snack before? I emotionally ate. So I felt shitty. And then I would patch it with snacks and then I'd make myself feel better by watching something. So reverse engineer again. I watch something, my body wants snacks and it wants snacks by making me feel shitty. So I watch stuff and I immediately start feeling shitty. And then I immediately start feeling hungry. So how do you recondition that? Well, I realize there's a positive, a negative association there. How do I create a positive association with the time and the watching and, and re-engineering that habit and then catching the cue or the trigger before it happens? Because you, you effectively swap the reward and the trigger sometimes, right? That's what's happening in your instance. I need to get to, therefore I need to be. So now you seek out the trigger or you manufacture the trigger to get the reward. I have a Pavlovian dog in my head. <laughs> That's the worst part. That is the worst part. Every, everyone has a Pavlovian kennel, right? There's dogs left, right, and center are different aspects of our lives. And the problem is we keep pretending we don't. Oh, right. I better than that. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's just literally conditioning, right? Everyone right. is conditioned. We've conditioned ourselves. We've conditioned out by our environment, by our society, by our loved ones who always right. want the best for us, but don't necessarily understand how that translates. Refer the risk discussion. And not to mention, we're just conditioned through right. general programming, right? We self-condition sure. through our own internal narrative, right? Our own internal narrative drives the conditioning that we receive because it's all based on perception. And I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but it's about controlling and understanding that for objectively what it is rather than pre-framing the story before it lands mm. in the head. So what we have is you described it as an identity crisis. I would say it's an identity metamorphosis. Mm, I like that. But any, but any time there is a cognitive dissonance, right? I think right. therefore, but then I actually, and now the two don't match. You're like this right now, right? right. So you need to bring the two in line. Where can we bring evidence from the previous you that's needed to patch the holes that you perceive or you believe you're currently missing in the current space? I think I can call upon my experience with relationships as a UPS driver. And maybe that is the reason why I am good at what I'm doing now because I've spent all, maybe it was like a school. Maybe that was, those is what built me where I am today. And if that, that fits into the idea of metamorphosis, which is much mm -hmm. better than knocking heads and feeling shame. Maybe there's some pride. That's a strong word. Maybe there is some reward that I can take a serious look and maybe forget forgive myself for feeling shame which is a weird thing to say you should forgive yourself for feeling shame like th then i start thinking like why am i shameful about something like what are you gotta be ashamed about man that wasn't too bad you know and i i do struggle with relationships and i think that mm -hmm. i am acting out of conditioning in a lot of ways i mm -hmm. i i wish i I wish I was better. And sometimes I think part of my self-sabotaging is creating these unrealistic expectations. And then that way, when I know I'm not going to get close to them, I get distracted and then I fail. And then there comes the shame and the anger, which allows me to move up a little bit further, create some new unrealistic expectations, but at least I'm moving forward, you know, and, and but it's destructive. It ruins my relationships. It ruins what I can be. And it takes away from my authentic, it takes away from what I can create. Okay. So where's the value in that cycle? 
No, that's that's hugely introspective. Well yeah. done, right? Your unrealistic expectations as what I would call a vehicle for self sabotage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We, we've we've understood the at a, at a surface level, we would usually de- dig a bit deeper into it. But we've understand at a surface level where that chain has come from in a habit context. Right. Right. What, why it's become a conditioned response. This is the vehicle with which you enact that. If right. I set an unrealistic expectation and I never achieve it, what do I what am I rewarded with as a result of that? That's where I'm that's where I'm resulted with the shame and fear to get me to a little bit higher, you know, Correct. but it, it also reinforces the negative thoughts I have about myself. Like, Oh yeah, you aren't good enough. And it's, it's this, that there's that cycle again where, Oh, now you're going to be down in the dumps, you know, cause you weren't good enough cause you didn't hit this unrealistic expectation, but you know, maybe the step forward is a reasonable expectation and that's part of the journey. So maybe each step mm-hmm. forward gets you to the, the beachhead of unreasonable expectations or the, 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 the goal, if that makes sense. It it does. Sorry, I'm mentally avoiding a bunch of the soapboxes I like to stand on. One second. Um, <laughs> it takes it takes a second to frame this. No, so look, very succinctly put, and and I hear you, and, and in a sense, you are very correct, right? The worst part about being a coach, slight derail i'll bring it back i promise there's a call back in there the the worst part about being a coach is because suddenly you hear cliches Hmm. and they make so much more sense and they are cliches i've heard my entire life over and over again Hmm. people who are wiser than me more experienced than they say it and you hear it you read it you see it on someone's great sunset selfie on instagram uh because that changes lives um sorry my bias is showing um but when you hear them with a different lens, they make a lot more sense. Here's one for you. Okay. The fun is in the journey, not the destination. Hmm. Right? Sounds simple. Everyone goes, eh, all right, cool. Yeah, I've heard that a million times. Here is what I'll offer you to support that. Okay. Your unrealistic expectations are only on milestones. Hmm. They're only on milestones or goals or whatever term we want to call this, right? I, I tend to call them milestones, goals. I, I make a more loftier purpose, but milestones, goals, whatever interchangeable term suits you here. However, every step in that process can be enjoyable, can be fulfilling, can be forward momentum. Remember how we spoke at the top of the call around celebrating the wins. This comes in the steps, not the milestones, hmm. but we put it off. We put it off. I have a great friend and a client who launched a massive digital product on LinkedIn a few days ago, and it's going very, very well. Nice. But my, but my coaching before that was about who cares? Who cares how well it goes? You have, you have put this together in a condensed time frame, in an extremely difficult environment with a cross section of people, right? And if you know who this is, you'll know who this is. But, but you've done that in an extremely collaborative highly ethical, highly values driven way and delivered a product at a price point that is way above anywhere else in the market. But it came from a place of how do I deliver the most value to people? So then the act of simply launching it is the milestone you should celebrate, is the step you should celebrate. It's commercial success is irrelevant because the accomplishment was well before any kind of perceived success or response. So if you put everything on this milestone or plateau type celebration point, but you've moved that too high, 
I need another thousand followers in a week or I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> then you're chasing, as you say, an unrealistic goal, whether it's set by you or set externally, but it's, it's the wrong place to start in the first place. The first place you should start is what steps have I taken? Was that more or less than I did before? Was it more an in integrity or less than integrity than mm. I had before? Everything else is a byproduct. Literally everything else. I translated this in my own life, right? The time I celebrate with a client or any kind of, and I love the term prospecting, but with a prospect, right. just so everyone's on the same page. I celebrate when I propose. My wife and I high five, we might go out for dinner, we might do some kind of meaningless or meaningful celebration when I propose to a new client. I've had some time with them, I've had a session very similar to this with them, and I've gone, hey, this is what it is, this is how we go, and this is what we do. Would you like to move ahead, yes or no? And the reason for that is simple. I celebrate the confrontation of the fear of saying no, or the fear and the anxiety of not landing a client. I, I celebrate moving through that with a proposal. I celebrate the proposal usually signifies having delivered some value. I celebrate the fact that I got to deliver value and meet someone new. I got to build a connection with someone. So the celebration point for me is the accomplishment of the challenge, the accomplishment of moving past that challenge. Everything after that is purely a byproduct. It is a lag indicator, not a lead indicator. Mm. Right? Does money land in my bank? Do I sign more clients? Do I grow? Whatever, that's fine. That comes as a byproduct of positive forward action that I am proud of each and every time. So I don't struggle with imposter syndrome. Every now and then, a client that I thought had a high percentage of jumping on board says no for whatever reason, and they don't want to change their mind, and that's fine. And then I go, ah, oh, is it me? So then I do what I need to do, which is sit down and go, where and how could I improve this process? Every time I feel that feeling, it tells me, okay, I feel on some level I can improve what I do. How do I do that? And then I'm back in my positive forward step. I don't beat myself up for things I fucked up because I fuck up a lot. Right. It's human. Right. It's just the way of it, right? My pitch, my intonation, my hand gestures, I'm a very handsy guy, right? It lands for some people, it doesn't land for right. some people. I use it as a neuro-linguistic programming thing, by the way. Um, every You'll notice every time I mention neuro stuff, I'm doing this <laughs> neuron signal. But I optimize, I change, I improve my game because that is the part that I am deeply in control of. The reception of it, the perception of it, I'm not in control of. The outcome of others, I'm not in control of. It's, it's stoicism 101. I am in control of myself and my response to a stimulus. And if I set unrealistic goals, then the problem is not the goals that I am setting. It's the fact that I depend upon those goals for validation and worth. When in reality, you're worthy now. Hmm. Validation comes as a byproduct. Self-worth comes from action. Is it an integrity? Do I feel like shit? Do I not feel like shit? It's a very simple guidepost, right? This compass is not complex. You know when you've done something out of integrity for the sake of chasing something you shouldn't or right. shouldn't, right? And, and we're often driven by a financial metric. We're often driven by a societal acceptance metric because our brain thinks that's survival and it's like priority. Right. I need likes. I need reactions. But that is purely survival. It's community acceptance. Don't for a second think that any form of social media is not purely built around psychology. Right, but we can flagrate the two, right? They leverage our desperate need for community to get us engaged on a platform. 
we then think engagement on that platform defines our engagement in the community. So therefore it's societal acceptance and therefore my worth is higher because I'm in a group when it could not be further from the truth. You have that worth, you mm. have that merit, you have that validation, you take it with you wherever you go. It doesn't change unless you compromise it. The only reason you don't have what you want is because you want it. <laughs> yeah. yes. I mean, good. Yep. Well done. Uh, yep. You nailed it. I, you nailed it. I, 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 I know it. I see it. And I know when I start wanting something super bad, I'm on the wrong path. It's really, really hard to see that. It's okay, okay to want. Okay. It's okay to want. What you're doing there is you're going, Ugh! you've done this three times in the call so far. Go back and watch the recording. You've done it okay. three times. No, no, I can't say that. Oh, I shouldn't do this. Mm. No, it's, it's bad to do that. Mm. Do you hear what's happening? Internal dialogue. Bad me. Yeah. Feel shame. Mm. It's your vehicle. Right? It's the ingrained habit you have. It's okay to want. Mm. It's how you get what you want that counts. I want to be big. I want to serve tens of thousands of people, but I want it in the most anal retentive way, which is usually smaller audiences because I'm a deep introvert. Mm. I don't want to go out and talk to 2000 people. I might at some point, I don't want to, but I still want to serve thousands, right? I'm allowed to want this contradictive lifestyle. Mm. I'm allowed to want and desire. I want to have enough money to do all the things I want to do with my family. We do well, right. but I want more. So then how do I get more? But I don't, I don't beat myself up over wanting it. And I don't beat myself mm. up over whether I achieve it or not, because if I don't achieve it for me, a true abundance mindset and a true growth mindset, is honestly to look at every situation as if I don't have it, what do I need to change to get it? And there's no room in that equation. I haven't allowed even allowed space to kick the shit out of myself and go, ah, you failed. Yep, I failed. Awesome. What do I learn? How do I change? And where do I go from there? Stopping every time you think you failed or you fucked up or you've wanted something you shouldn't want is purely scarcity. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve the situation. It doesn't change anything. And it's firmly rooted in judgment. Hmm. I told you we'd throw back to judgment. Yeah. It's self-judgment, right? So the only, and again, another cliche, great one, right? You only fail when you stop trying. Right. Could not be more true. Could not be more true. But until you really see the power of just continually trying, and that doesn't mean grinding yourself to achieve an, un, an ungettable goal, right? What that actually means is this isn't working. How do I need to change my perception, my direction? Because that's also part of growth. Am I doing this to fulfill a whole or am I doing this to achieve an outcome? And you're creating a shame cycle, right? To punish yourself and cajole yourself because mm. you know that anger will drive you through to get to that point. So it's about instituting some healthier versions of doing that. Mm. And the first step of that is what have I done? I coach with a lot, a lot of executives and a lot of people in high pressure roles. Let's put it that way, right? They own businesses. They are in part of much, much larger corporations. And I tell them to get rid of to-do lists, throw them out because they're a tool for shame. They're a tool for judgment. What I tell them to do is a to-don't list. Here is the shit I'm not going to do today. 
Mm. Here are the things I need to be aware of that I need to avoid thinking or be aware of when I do think them today. Typically because high performers, when they are aware of that stuff, they can deal with the to doing. Like doing is not a problem. That's why right. you perform. Right. You're capable of doing it. And almost anyone is. If you get rid of the procrastination, the fear, the bullshit, the judgment, then they can naturally get shit done. Procrastination doesn't exist because you're driven internally, right? No one ever needs a strong prompt, a stick and a taser to go and have sex with their partner. Right. You don't. Right? I mean, sometimes if it's been pretty dicey and you're like, well, maybe not tonight, but still the majority of the time, you don't need to call an accountability coach and be like, hey, it's that time. Please, please hype me up to go have sex with my partner. You don't. <laughs> you want to because you like the connection. So it, you get rid of these concepts, these constructs, and you focus on the forward action. You focus on the milestones you have achieved, the things you have done moving forwards. I would offer that a good technique or tool layer that would really assist with you is a daily reflective. Right? I, I have a simple tool that I've, I've been working on, and it's not anything magical. I do it in my notes on my phone, mm -hmm. and I've done it for the better part of about nine months now. It was my only New Year's resolution because I realized how failed New Year's resolutions were. And I was like, I wonder if this will work. And every day I write three things that were positive decisions or choices I made that had a positive benefit to my life. Every day. That's it. That's my journaling. It's as concise as it can get. It takes three minutes tops. And every day I go, these three things were good decisions I made today. I don't talk about the bad things. I can sit down and do retrospectives and growth sessions and any kind of corporate nomenclature I want to chuck on that. But every day I go, these were three good decisions. And invariably, invariably, every single day, one of them is a wellness one. One of them is right. giving or value or client growth. One of them is I've done something in my relationship or for my family or for myself. And that tells me every single day, those things are the highest parts of my, my priority list. So then it's easy when I hit the next day. Well, I have a big list of shit to do. What are the three I'm going to consider to be good decisions? All right. Well, how do I prioritize those? And that reflective exercise with you, something similar. We can always talk about that offline. I'm more than happy to chat to you about that. But it's going to give you those, where are my positive steps forwards today? You need to start looking in your positive traction forwards, not in your aspirational lacking of bullshit. Because mm. it is bullshit. It's a made-up metric. Right? I could be like, man, why don't you have 60,000 followers? Why don't you have 60,000 audience or subs? You've got tens of thousands already. Just kick me in the balls, have, all right? <laughs> do, you, do you have any understanding how many podcasts don't get anything near that? Do you, do you grasp that? And I mean this very literally. Do you grasp that so many thousands of podcasts every year fade into non-existence because they can never get past 500 people? No. I, I, why is mine not better? <laughs> That's the problem. Like why, is I, it, why is it not worse? <laughs> because I don't sleep. Why is it not? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a vehicle. <laughs> right? right? So, but, but why is it not worse? Why is it not worse than it is? Reframe because I, it that way. Why is it not worse? Top three reasons. The top three reasons it's not worse is because I genuinely want everyone listening to get out of it the love and respect that I put into it. The next reason is it's a part of me. 
and I care about me and I want that to be reflected in there. And I think that that can be arrogant. Maybe I, I, I'm not going to say I shouldn't do that because I've already been down that pathway. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reframe that. And another reason is that people enjoy authenticity and taking chances and they enjoy seeing it in other people and it inspires them. That was a beautiful answer. <laughs> Thank you. It was a beautiful, I mean it, it's a beautiful answer. It should be acknowledged. So those are the three big reasons why it's not worse. Why do those have to change? Why aren't they good enough? Sorry, let me reframe that. <laughs> why do you feel they are not good enough? I feel I should be generating a lot more revenue and be able to replace the place I walked away from and give my family a better life by doing what I'm doing now and it's not translating. Okay. So what I'm hearing there is I have a modality, I have a purpose, I have a clear direction that's actually obviously landing for people. Sorry, how long has your podcast, just bear with me, how long has your podcast been going? All up. I I include the episodes that you wish no one knew about. (laughs) Five years. Five years. Five years. Great. And you're at circa 30K at the moment? Right. Audience? Great. So in five years, you've grown to 30,000. Yeah. What yeah. numbers do you need to hit revenue targets? 30,000 downloads per episode. Okay. What is your current downloads per episode looking like? Maybe between two and 500. Okay. So you're looking at a, two, like a 100X type. So what I hear there is the disparity is in your expectation of how to monetize. Mm. Your audience is not slacking, right? Your expectation is how you monetize or or the the gap there is how you monetize. You have an audience. And this is, sorry, this is where it's hard for me to draw the line between my mindset and business coaching because often they're so interrelated, right? Your perspective of the way you see things and the perspective of the way you structure things is based purely on the narrative inside your head. So if we rework the narrative in your head, it has exponential benefits to the business because you can suddenly see avenues you didn't see before. Right, right. So what it sounds to me is that you have something going on in the way you're doing this, right? I'm not going to assume something at this stage. And the way in which you choose to monetize that, or you believe you should monetize that is not rewarding you in the way you think it should. That doesn't mean that the quality of what you're producing is in any way inferior. Mm. That doesn't mean the quality of your subscriber base is in any way inferior. It doesn't mean that your growth is in any way inferior. Podcasts do not make it to five years unless they have an element of strong success in them. They do not. There's a great meme that is just called another white guy with a podcast and and Google it. (laughs) And it is the funniest thing you have ever fucking seen on them. Every time I think of podcasts, my friends send that to me and they're like, stop. Right. So, (laughs) cause it's all hustle bro culture and they've all got podcasts. Right. Right. But podcasts don't, don't have a high rate of success. There is an extremely, again, a low bar for entry and a lot of podcasts don't. And a lot just kind of idle by at the very low numbers or a moderate number. And they're okay with that because it's a drip feed of income. Hmm. What I'm hearing from you is the scarcity focus on this has to deliver it. Now I need this money. I need this money. Hmm. I need this money. Right. So then there's definitely realm for us to discuss where and how you pull that income and buffer that income in the short term until you get to the point that you want to do it purely with this. 
maybe there's alternative options. Maybe there's alternative ways to look at it, ways to monetize your audience or incentivize your audience that you're not already considering. Right. And that's worth its, its very own discussion, right? But in that, you are using that as external bullshit metric. Mm. And it's not too bullshit because obviously you have a family and you need to provide and all these so social and cultural imperatives, right? I can talk to you about my journey in the very same space, coaching. I went from Fortune 100 to not-for-profit because I felt like a piece of shit. Right. Back to Fortune 100 because I was like, yeah, no, I can deal with this. And after about two or three months in that, I was like, nope, assholes, I'm out. <laughs> and then I went back to not-for-profit. Right. And what I realized was I had a deep hole in me and it wasn't the industry that was going to fill it. But then I pivoted to coaching, which I had ineffectually been doing for hundreds of people across my entire career. That's why I was successful in the leadership space. I was right. coaching the, sh the shit out of my staff for decades, right? But that was a big pivot. There was imposter syndrome, there was elements coming up there. And I went, how do I replace a corporate salary? And the answer was, I reduced my lifestyle. I built a strong mm -hmm. safety net. I invested in alternative means to buffer my income so that I didn't have as much pressure on my primary. And I had some very strong discussions with my wife. Yes. About transparency and what that meant. Right. And I don't want to discuss that on the call, obviously, with yourself, but that's a whole separate thing on its own. Right. And obviously, they have to be on board and their support right. means everything to us. Right. Irrespective of who or what your partner is, that right. is imperative. Nothing works unless that does. So I had to put these things in place to mitigate that drive because I don't want to come from a place of scarcity. I can't come from a place of scarcity. If I sit on a coaching call like this and I'm like, are you sure you don't want to buy it? Are you sure? Are you sure? I think I can do it. I can drop 50 bucks off. 50 bucks. Do it. Should we start tomorrow? Should we start? To Let's do it tomorrow. What are the objections I'm going to handle? I don't. I don't come from that place. I literally had a client conversation last night, late night my time, circa 12 hours ago. And it, it didn't end up landing as a client relationship yet. Right. But I had a great conversation with her. It was amazing. We had a good connection and I really delivered her some value that could hopefully make a significant change in her career. Okay, cool. I got what I need out of that. I got the dopamine hit. I got to give back. I got to serve. I got to provide value. Yeah. What that means is, do I have more money? No. So I'll find someone else. But if I came from scarcity, I would have been on the phone for another hour with her, handling her objections, coercing mm, her. Right. I can coerce the fuck out of people. Let's be very clear. I got very, very right. good at manipulation in a corporate society and corporate scene. And I can do it now ethics stops me doing it now because that's not who i want to be it's not the business i built if i wanted money i'd still be working in a fortune 100. that's not to say i don't make money now but it started slow right i had to have that patience and i had to search for the alternatives to remove that scarcity drive because when you remove that scarcity drive you show up better in authenticity in your first drive your abundance drive right and that comes across do you think that sometimes the pressure is what allows you to see new scenarios unfold in front of you? You know, when I think about no. monetization, you don't think so? No. The The adage pressure makes diamonds is mm -hmm. neurologically and physiologically complete bullshit. <laughs> now, let me preface this. Okay, please. I was corporate success driven for the entirety of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. It was the, the pinnacle of where I wanted to be because of my childhood. Sure. And I did that through my ability to deal with crushing stress that other people could not. Mm. 
that was my pride. That was my identity. I was the martyr. I would, I was the guy, right? I'm going to get it done. I'm going to crush this project. It doesn't matter if it takes 18 hour days for months on end. In fact, in, in one instance, I was literally sleeping on the couch in an office for weeks on end. My wife just didn't see me right Right. now. I prided myself on that in my now enlightened stage. Um, I just, I just get sad at how much sleep I didn't get. Uh, but neurologically and physiologically, your brain and body are conditioned to tunnel vision. Mm. The natural stress response or hormonal response is to drop adrenaline and norepinephrine and noradrenaline, which is essentially just the brain versions of the exact same stuff, right? They just have different names because it's easier to classify. Now, what happens when that kicks off is you, you either have your fight or your flight. Your fight is your muscles get tense, you get tense, you get loaded. Your flight, they still get loaded, just the blood differentiate, uh, the, the blood positioning changes, right? If it's fight, it's more upper body, it's more heart-centric, it's more cardiovascular. If it's flight, it's cardiovascular with a heavy focus on flooding blood to the musculature and your, your lower body. In either case, in any instance, stress makes you tunnel vision neurologically. Mm. Now, there have been countless studies through Stanford, Yale, Harvard, MIT and Columbia have done a couple as well. I haven't read those yet personally, so I can't talk to them. But certainly the first IVs have done study after study after study showing the drop off of IQ, creativity and abstract mm-hmm. focus the second stress hits. The numbers are terrifying. Circa 10 minutes under stress and your IQ drops by like 30%. It is terrifying. Wow. Right. But we think, okay, I'll just maintain chronic stress for an extended period of time because no one can outwork me and I'll get more done. When in reality, you're infinitely more productive by stepping back, resting and recovering. But it's abstract to the cultural drive that we've been taught. It's counter to that. How can I prove this? Go on a holiday Mm -hmm. and tell me you don't come back with a million solutions to the problems you had when you left right instantaneously the second you relax because we know the first part of a holiday is always obsess about the shit you're not doing then you slowly get into it right it's this right. human nature by the time you get back you're in the zone and you're like oh damn here's all of the things i should do you're in a creative space i bet you have so many ideas i have ideas for podcasts and changing brand and pivoting and all these kinds of great things because when you relax creativity comes yeah. abstract thinking comes the scope of your visibility, it's its called, what is the term? Excuse me for forgetting it, but essentially it's a, a rested awareness, right? It's a, it's a wider awareness. It's a wide spectrum awareness. Andrew Huberman talks about it quite deeply in one of his stress-related podcasts, and he describes it as a stress is essentially looking through a very small keyhole or tunnel vision or whatever term, but rested awareness is more like an open awareness. Mm-hmm. Right, you can see all the other variables. My reticular activating system is looking for anything and everything. It's not looking for a very specific subset. So, to your point, do you think pressure opens up other avenues? No. Do you think pressure might find them? Yes, as long as they conform to this very small tunnel. Right, because that's just the way our brain works. We're we're looking through this very small hole. So, if it's down here at all, well, I'm firing down that as fast as I well, realize what that represented, but. We're firing down that highway as fast as humanly possible, as hard as humanly possible. So we'll probably notice that faster, but we could have missed a thousand different solutions over here, some over here. There might even be a person who's been trying to give us the perfect solution the whole time. And we're like, no, no, I'm focused. Just shut up and let me do this. 
right? We shut ourselves off to any of the other opportunities, possibilities, and perspectives. And honestly, it doesn't matter how achieving a corporate person is, if they are actually an, a person sitting in the innovation space or the true problem solving space, they will tell you that it comes from diversity of perspective. Because if you could solution it yourself, you would have already. Right. Right. So what you find in that tunnel is the shit that you probably forgot about or the thing that you thought might work and could work, but you're like, I could manipulate this enough to work. So yes, you'll find that. But you have you have excluded a huge volume of other possibilities, which just sounds like career and financial suicide, to be honest. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, the idea of tunnel vision and stress and fight and flight, flooding your body, flooding your body with the you know, those two things, regardless of what you do, are bifurcating, right? There's only two things that are going to happen. You're going to win or you're going to lose. You're not being creative. You're not thinking about anything. Correct. And you can only look at it in a win or lose scenario. Right. right. It fundamentally shapes your mindset in that context. Right? And your way you Have can I model reality. Or yeah. do I suck? Right. It's everything. Everything. And the worst part of that is statistically, the vast majority, like 80 to 90% of people in employment in most Western societies, and definitely Eastern societies, they just don't report on it because right. they don't want to know. We live in a state of chronic stress, low level persistent chronic stress, and it just varies in spikes. I've talked, I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with where they're like, I'm not stressed. Okay, <laughs> okay. cool, man. Such bullshit. Great, sto great story. No, no, no. So this is the thing. It's so persistent, it's so gradual, it's so chronic that you don't notice it. Mm. It is ignorance, not malice when they mm. say that. And ignorance is a zero judgment term. It's simply the absence of knowing, right? Mm. I am ignorant to the concept that this is a thing. And I'm like, great, so you can make effective decisions. Oh no, that's that's a struggle right now. Okay, but you definitely don't have brain fog, fatigue, tiredness, you don't stay awake at night. Oh no, no, I definitely do those things. Okay, well, I've got some news, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? But when you start dialing that back, they start seeing the picture bigger. Think of it this way. We essentially take, I don't have a piece of paper to hand, but if you put a dot on a piece of paper and put it right in front of your face, that is being under chronic stress. Mm. Put a dot in the corner and then move that one back and you can suddenly see that. That's open awareness and a relaxed state of mind. Wellness is our natural way of being and we are mm. the most productive at that point. Which is why that you'll find life coaches always wellness is hand in hand. Because to really succeed, even the Stoics said this thousands of years ago, Ryan Holiday bangs on about this in at least two of his books, right? Mental and physical sharpness are imperative. You have to be a well-rounded, well-balanced individual to understand the perspective of everything and be truly productive. But we're so work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, and we've never been taught otherwise. It's a big part of my why to empower this knowledge with people because I only knew one way. And it kills, it literally kills in a lot of instances, right? It's, I, I know parts of your own journey and it's a far, far bigger driver than we want to admit. So, no, I guess it's the short, that was a very long way to say, no, that's a dumb <laughs> idea. <laughs> Pressure does not make diamonds. In some ways I can see my journey synonymous with that. In some ways, it's living under the pattern of chronic stress for so long and then in some level getting free of it and wanting and feeling that relief as as lacking 
but really it's something that is freeing. It's liberating, you know, and sometimes I guess that that's the Stockholm syndrome, maybe the same thing with stress, right? Like you've, you've become so accustomed to it. You've turned this thing that was holding you down into something you put on a pedestal. Correct. And further, you, it becomes part of your identity. Mm, so yeah. what ends up happening is the identity, identity crisis manifests in something simple like, well, I feel relaxed today. That's not who I am. Yeah. And you don't notice this at a conscious level, but you just feel off. I need to be motivated. I feel itchy. I have to go and do things because productivity is worthiness. Now, you cottoned onto something very interesting there because that's a much deeper discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Hands up if you're a trauma kid, right? Trauma kids, <laughs> if, if many people don't, I'm just like, well, you're probably not digging deep enough. But trauma and constant states of stress started a lot of childhood, a lot of formative times. But what ends up happening is you become addicted to the stress. Mm. And what happens is when you do that, and you start dialing back on the stress and you get some breathing room and the pressure dies off all of these alarm bells about value and identity and work ethic and all the, Oh, this isn't an integrity with you. You've got a, you're a hard worker, go get that done. And what it actually is, is your brain shitting its pants. Why? Because it hates change. It's actually addicted to the stress and it, it perceives calming down and healthy rest as a threat. And our brain is tricky. It manifests thoughts, urges, things. And we just go with the flow. We're like, okay, bro. And then we go and do mm -hmm. that thing, right? I have a craving. It's just a thought. It's my decision to jump on that thought that means I go and have a snack. We assume it's telling us the truth at all times. And what it's doing is it's manipulating us at the highest order. So when it perceives calming down as, as, as a threat, it will tell you all kinds of things to justify putting you back in an old spiral. Its job is to be in that homeostasis of what it knows. And you're risking survival by relaxing, by taking a day off. When in reality, that's the best thing for the brain and the best thing for the body, because we know better than the base, the brain's base programming, but it perceives it as this existential threat. I literally, I, I had to take three months off. I've had four burnouts, right? Which is, is not a humble brag. It is, a, mm -hmm. it is a deep source of shame that it took me four times to figure it out. My first burnout, I went blind, literally blind. I had a blow up with a senior manager at the time. It was a big rift. I went back to my desk, talked to my team, said, hey, I just need to chill out for a second. Was doing some work and one side started going blurry and then I lost vision in both eyes. And I had to have a friend take me to the doctor who literally put me in the corner. Thankfully, it was a, what we call an uncle in Indian society, a really old uncle who sat down. He put some headphones on and it was some totally chill music. And he's like, you just need to breathe for 10 seconds. Just chill out. And after about 10 minutes of doing that, it came back on. But I thought, okay, I need to make the changes in my tips, techniques, tools, product efficiency, time management. I'll tweak all of that. It's not a problem. I'm going to optimize my way out of overwork. Yeah. Right? <laughs> went back in same thing did it again there was time differences obviously optimized changed tweaked again okay maybe i need to work out more so now i'm adding a lot more fit i'm amping up my physical stresses thinking that it's going to reduce my mental stresses not knowing that all of my mental stresses were because i was thinking in the wrong way same deal just physiologically and mentally burnt out and then the fourth one i went holy shit it's me hmm. 
There's only one common denominator there. And apparently I was very slow at learning my lesson, <laughs> right? And I had to confront that truth. Looks like everything I think is wrong. Like me, what do I do now? And that took like three months of every single day sitting there going, okay, I'm going to go and do something relaxing, go and do something relaxing, but fighting the urge to go be productive. It happened yesterday. I was meant to have the afternoon off and I just found all these little tasks that needed to be done kept flooding into my brain. But I had to choose not to engage with them and pick the ones that I felt were not going to be high intensity for me. It's a constant, it's a constant struggle because our brain is tricky like a motherfucker. It really is. So yes, dialing back, slowing down, changing the pace. It's an abundance focus, but it is a scary, scary thing for the brain if you're used to and conditioned into the habit set of producing that way. Because then it feels like you'll never produce, right? If I'm not kicking the shit out of myself, how can I ever get anything accomplished? Simple, just fucking do it. You have to build that evidence of doing it. You have to give the brain just as much ammunition to go, oh, okay, I can do this. But to start with, let me let me use this as an example. Yeah. You can do something really, really well, right? You can brush your teeth, presumably, with your dominant hand. Yeah. And we start brushing our teeth with the other hand. It feels weird. But because we can see it, we go, I'm doing something different. This is okay to take my time and figure out. But we never do that with our thoughts. We never do that with our habits. We never do that with our behaviors. And then we kick the shit out of ourselves constantly for not being able to do it perfectly immediately. But it's, it's as obvious as that. You are brushing your teeth with the other. I'm right-handed, so obviously mm -hmm. there's a change over there. But, but you're brushing your teeth with the other hand. So of course it feels alien. It's to be expected that it feels alien, that it feels weird, that it feels different. But you have to build the positive evidence that this is a workable solution by focusing on the forward momentum, by celebrating the milestones you do hit or celebrating the actions you do take, by affirming to your brain, yes, this works. This is a better way to do it. There is an arm of this that, that goes into meditation and wellness. Sure. And, Deep meditation, Joe Dispenza does a lot of work in this space with deep visualization and recorrection of that kind of stuff. That is a very different piece of talk, but it's about recognizing that I need to be patient. I need to take time. I need to have compassion for myself because I am literally brushing my teeth or tying shoes with the other hand, right? Just in a mental context. And we just assume perfection. Hmm. That disparity, again, is an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. And it's about going, no, I hear what you're doing. It's going to give you imposter syndrome. It's going to make you procrastinate. It's going to do all these things because it perceives it as a threat. That's just your brain going, let's distract you and pull you back into autopilot because I know that I can get you to feel shitty mm -hmm. and angry and productive that way. This is why awareness is key. It's why the to don't list exists. I'm not going to let that shit happen today. Where and how am I going to look for this kind of stuff? That's what I'm not going to let happen today. I'm not going to let myself feel shame over something stupid. How does that land? There's a weird sort of clarity that comes in between action and thought for me. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, people that get molested often feel like part of them enjoyed the sensation of it. You don't know how to reconcile mm -hmm. that. So too is the feeling when you've left everything behind and you feel great about it. But mm -hmm. on some level, 
you stop providing for everyone. And you tell people, like in my relationships, I'll be like, I'm so glad that happened to me. And they look at you. And, and even people that I tell about in my podcast, like, yeah, I just left all that stuff. I'm so fucking so much better. And they look at me like I'm a like I'm a fucking alien. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And it's that you know, that 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 moment seems like an hour. And it's I'm I'm trying to integrate that moment as a turning point, like, oh shit. I can see both avenues. I can see where I was and I can mm. see where I'm going. And it's such a surreal moment for me. Mm. That's how that lands. Nice. <laughs> it's good. I, I would say in that scenario, it sounds like there's judgment and self-judgment, external and internal judgment. Mm. Disparity of not having X, Y, Z. In my lived experience, my response to that is, and and you don't like the what you don't like what i'm doing that's fine you do you boo right i play a game called both things can be true Mm. and it sounds fun but it is one of the most fundamentally uh interesting games to play with people both things can be true liars i can look at a that's it. And, and it's living in the paradox. Both things mm. can be true. I can have spent my entire life grinding and working my ass off. And I can have privilege. Mm-hmm. And I have. I've been homeless twice. Everything I've had, I've had to work to the bone for. But I have privilege because someone else in my situation would have had a harder time. They wouldn't have had a loving partner. They wouldn't have had a supportive mm. in-law family. I have privilege. Both things can be true. I get to go out and party sometimes or, or go out with my friends sometimes while my wife, bless her, looks after my son. And she gets to go out. It's not an and or. She And she gets to go out. Both things can be true. We both get time. Let's look at a deeper level. Traumatic events can happen to us. And I can pull lessons from them. Both things can be true. Mm. I can loathe myself and love myself. Both things can be true. Something deeply impactful can happen to my life and it breaks me. But there are elements of that that I can, that I can enjoy and see the light in. Both things can be true. And our problem is not that one or the other exists. It's that we believe only one or the other should exist. Mm. This is the repeated pattern of you putting your old self in a box. Mm-hmm. It is or it isn't. And the answer is, as much as it sucks, we're all gray Jedi, right? I don't know if that deep cut lands for anyone, but we're all gray Jedi and both things can be true. Right. To show I'm not talking shit, I grew up with a father who was unnecessarily... He was old. He was very old. He died when I was 10. Uh, I was 10. He was 62 when he died. Everyone always thought he was my grandfather. Mm. He was He was like, you talk boomer, he was like around in World War II type authority level and, and viewpoint, right? He was a chronic racist and in the town of New, or the New, Ze- the town of New Zealand, some perspective for you (laughs) in the country of new zealand that was prevalent in that age group especially for white people right especially for white men especially from that time 
he was a chronic racist, chronic, right? Every time I swore, I got a beating, got the soap, got a stick, whatever mm -hmm. it was, right? I got hit with belts, I got hit with sticks, all these kinds of things. He was a single father raising me on a government benefit and he grew his own crops and vegetables and all kinds of stuff outside that to support us. He was a constant inventor, but he was the most loving person I've ever met in my life. Both things can be true. Mm. What do I choose to take from either right. of those scenarios? I moved in with my mother. I met her when I was 10, by the way, after that. Moved in with her that very quickly derailed into abuse, alcoholism, a constant stream of boyfriends. There was an altercation at one point where I was a young teenager and I hospitalized a 42 year old man. But her work ethic and her stubbornness and her pride taught me the skills to be immensely successful in my life. We at, at points, we, we very clearly hated each other. There was, there was deep, dark darkness there. It was, it was terrible but there was elements in there that I could take and learn from and admire because both things can be true. And it's not until we learn that both things can be true that we can then objectively step back into open awareness and go, but what do I want out of these? Right. Cause there's lessons to not do things. There's lessons to do things. And when we put one over the other, or we put one in a box and we, we ignore the other, we exclude, we tunnel vision to, to throw a call back in there. Right. Yeah. We're excluding lessons that we could learn from either side. Where is my ownership in the stuff that went wrong? Where can I pull valuable life lessons I can pass on from what went right? Both things can be true. And in what you just discussed, yes, you left a life behind. Yes, it hurts. But it's also better for you as yeah. a person, as a father, as a partner, all these kinds of things. I can't tell you the amount of time since I've started my own coaching practice and, and I'm doing this that my partner has gone, this is the best version of you we've ever had. Not once has she gone, this is the least financially supportive version <laughs> of you that we've ever had. Right? I mean, bless right. touch wood. Right. right. But, but you know, I, I was earning very, very good money. Right. And it'll be a while before I catch that money. But anything up to that journey, like where I am now and above, is well and truly enough to support a household and help, right. help out. But she's never belabored the point on that. She's belabored, you are a better person. I'm a better yeah. person with my relationships, with my friendships. Yep. My friendship game is on point. Mm. I used to just ignore people for months on end and they'd be like, okay, that's cool. He's busy. Yeah. Now they're checking in with me all the time and I check in with them. I have great friendships. I have great relationships and great connections. So both things can be true, but there was parts of that life that I've brought into this life. Hyper system focus, efficiency, all these kinds of things work and drive and ethic when I need it. And now I moderate it with the mindset of what I have now of control and balance. Balance, I call it integration, but it's not necessarily balance. But both things can be true is such a powerful, powerful metaphor or a power, powerful exercise for a lot of people because they do exactly what you just described. I am change, therefore I am no longer. No, mm. you are, therefore you are growing from. Mm. This is across habits, thought processes, mindsets, behaviors, interactions, connections. Everything is a learning activity. Everything is an avenue for growth. If it goes wrong, you grow more. Right. I actively seek to be proven wrong when I have discussions with other coaches. 
I don't go in and talk to people I know that are going to prove me right. There's no growth in that. Success for me is total growth, continual growth, continual challenge. I married someone who calls me on my bullshit on a near daily basis for that reason. So take it as growth. Take it as an avenue for learning. Both things can be true. I make the choice on what I do and don't take from that. Nothing is absolute in that context. That includes you. Your path you're on is different, yes, but it's no less valid. Right. And the only thing that's missing from that is you don't yet have the knowledge, experience, lived experience, or skill set to fill whatever gap you have. Right. So then it's about identifying what that need is and filling it with one or all of these. Then you have that, and then because we're human, you find the next thing to kick the shit right. yourself with. Right? <laughs> right? It's always a new thing. Don't worry. Sure. It's always a new thing. Sure. Even with me, I'm like, have I given enough in that call? Have mm-hmm. I done enough in that call? Should I have stayed another hour and talked more? Right? But then it's like, okay, cool. Where do I know when to stop? How do I learn from that? How do I optimize, tighten it, and bring my message earlier? It's all growth. When you realize it's all growth, then it's never really all bad. Yeah. It's always that gray data, right? Yeah, it's there seems to be an awareness for me between learning something and have something develop inside of you. And I think that's a it's a beautiful thing too. It's funny, I'm staring at Ovid's metamorphosis right now. Like I there's no coincidences. <laughs> you know, but um yeah, I the idea that some things can only develop inside of you makes it easy for me to look back and understand not only it was all necessary, it was all necessary. And in, in, in the idea that it was all necessary comes surrender on some level. And it it, it speaks to the idea of, of both can be true. And look, I, I, it's going to maybe upset some of my more, dedicated clients but i'm an (laughs) i'm an atheist right and that doesn't doesn't work for people i totally respect my wife is hindu my son is hindu i'm an atheist i go to every religious celebration i can with them because i just love a good party and some time with people right it's a it's so much energy but until my introvert kicks in but the the kicker there is this is what people talk about when they talk about religious surrender Mm. and faith right agnostically it is the the act of relinquishing power. Mm. And we say, oh, purpose and fate, and it's all meant to happen. Well, the neurological answer is you wouldn't make the decisions that are pre-framed in the way you've made them based on the perspectives that you currently have if you didn't have that lived experience. Mm-hmm. So irrespective of how you view that in a religious context, right. neurologically, you are where you are now because of everything that happened, and you can always right. find appreciation in that space. I like that. And that's translatable across any religion, type, sect, cult, social agenda, anything. You are where you are based on your lived experience, and you can find appreciation for that. If you look hard enough, you will always find somewhere to be appreciative because you're still alive. And it really is that simple sometimes. That's, I don't know if there becomes any better information than that right there, that last landing blow of you know, the appreciation, I, I think it speaks volumes. Lewis, this has been tremendous. I, I thoroughly respect the kindness and the veracity and the, the level of honesty with which you bring to the conversation. And I, 
I appreciate the no bullshit approach, man. I, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why you're super successful and you're very caring and compassionate and been graceful with your time. Where can people find you? Let's say they listen to our conversation today and they're like, man, I want to talk more to Lewis. How do they find you and, and where are you at? What you got coming up? I appreciate it. So uh, a quick recap on it. Please. So you can message me at coach at be better, B-E-B-E-T-T-E-R.N-Z or N-Z, I believe you guys pronounce it, because uh, I'm in New Zealand. Uh, you can find the same website, but that's under construction at the moment. You can look me up on LinkedIn, Lewis Thompson Milne or Be Better Coaching. Uh, what's coming up? Whew, that's a fun one. I'm actually working on an app. Nice. Yeah, I'm working on an app at the moment, um, mostly around building an ingrained, noticing a theme, habit and routine stack for people, uh, wellness practices, stuff like that, but also mindset, healthier mindset practices. What I've seen in the routine and habit space is everyone goes, here's a checklist of doing these minor activities and they construct it. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is create more of a guided and instructional way to get people thinking and structuring their mornings and evenings a bit better um, using their phone rather than just pretending it doesn't exist and hoping that my habit will, will go away, but using their phone for a more constructive purpose, right? Wind them down for sleep routines, wind them down for better quality of life, doing retrospectives and reflective exercises. So that's in the works at the moment. So expect that to drop, but um, all of that will be on my LinkedIn page if you want to look me up. Yeah. And I would recommend everybody do it. Uh, you've got some great content on there. You're a wealth of knowledge to talk to. And, and um, there's a radical self-responsibility and a radical honest that comes from having a conversation with you. So I would welcome and invite everyone to look you up and, and, and check them out. And his, his clients do all the talking for him. I got to do is look at the success that they've had and, and who they're pointing towards. So ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have today. Lewis, hang on one second. I want to talk to you briefly afterwards, but I'm going to hang up with sure. the people here. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you have a tremendous day. I hope you realize that everything was necessary and that you're moving towards a better, more authentic version of yourself if you're willing to take full responsibility for those actions. That's all we got for today. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. 
Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.